This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to My Favorite Murder. It's a podcast. You know it. That's Karen Kilgarrett. And that's Georgia Hardstark. And of course, there's Steven sitting sitting over there on the ground. That's right. Just just maintaining. That's exactly right. Oh. Hey, fucking today. Oh. The, Wednesday is the fucking day that our fucking podcast network launched. We launched that mother. Today is the day. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations to you. Thank you. It feels great. We've been working on it. We've been uh, multitasking for quite some time. We're not complaining. No. We're just letting you know that it's, uh, yeah, it was very exciting. It was so exciting. It was surreal. I couldn't sleep last night. It feels... It feels good, and I'm very, I'm very happy about it. Big thanks to Danielle Kramer. Uh, she is our producer, and she has basically been making it happen um, in the real. I was going to say meat and bones way. Oh. Is that a saying? No, it is now. in America. Now it is. Um, Danielle Kramer is a is a business wonder, and she has been guiding us and helping us navigate and making it happen. And. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to do it without her. No. So, um, yeah, we couldn't be more excited to be working with her and to be having this this podcast network that we have good. been planning and dreaming about and yeah. doing things for. And the cool thing is, four uh, shows premiered, yeah. I guess. The Fall Line, the Purrocast, of course, Do You Need a Ride, and This Podcast Will Kill You. Yes. And My Favorite Murder, of course. And of course, the old My Favorite Murder. You know. And This Podcast Will Kill You is like number three That's on the right. overall charts. It's That shot up. Those girls did great. The Fall Line's number five. The Fall Line went right the up there. fucking top iTunes charts. Overall. And on the lifestyle and feelings uh, <laughs> charts, what is it called, Steven? <laughs> Society and Culture. Society and culture and feelings needs to be <laughs> the, the podcast came in hot, hot yeah. and heavy, right? Yeah, I think I think that's appropriate too. Lifestyle and feelings, cat people, <laughs> yeah. yeah, feelings, feeling strong about your pet, uh, right. yeah, felines, yeah, felines, right. Karen, uh, yeah, number. I think as of right now, it's number ten or eleven. That's or something amazing. Like that. It's very exciting. Yeah, um, and then of course there's even more to come. Oh yeah, we've got more podcasts coming, you guys. Shit, and we're very excited about yeah. the talent that we have. We wish we Scream it at you, but yeah. we can't yet. You'll be very excited, but we this is our foundational block of four. Yeah. I feel I feel very proud of us yeah. as women start you know, business women, and this is all we're making it happen. My I'm, mom texted you today. <laughs> Janet <laughs> Janet sent me a private text. 
Janet said, I want to wish Karen congratulations too. What's her phone number? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I asked you first, like, can I give my mom your phone number? This might go very poorly. And normally I don't want to text with people's parents. <laughs> I'm not a parents person. I've always been a real rebel. I wanted, I want to peel out uh, away from your parents you want them to be like you shouldn't hang out with her yeah there are people who always be like my parents are in town do you want to go out to dinner it's like no i really really <laughs> i don't. went out to dinner with your dad he's now that's an exception yeah i'm holding everybody else's parents to the sure. standard of my dad that's great do your parents party no goodbye <laughs> do your parents tell a good story no sorry i can't do all the work sure um, but no, Janet sent me a very touching and actually it was a kind of message that reminded me of what my mom would do, Aww. where it's like, this is a big deal and I'm so proud and I can't believe it. And it was just like, and the future holds this. It does. And, and, and I, she said, I love you. I in it, which is like you, Janet, she, Enigma. she killed it. She killed it. Yes. She it really meant a lot. I'm to proud me. that to be her daughter that when she does stuff like that. Yeah. It's, hey, look. it's other times <laughs> that are the problem. Sunshine and rain. You know? Joy and pain. That's right. Um, yeah. So that's, it's all happening. I spent on my drive over here, spent about 15 minutes still, and I've already done this before, trying to explain to my dad what a podcast network <laughs> is, what it means. He just keeps trying to bring it back to like radio. My mom doesn't radio. understand either when I'm like, it's basically like a TV network yes. that has shows. How hard is that to understand? Right. Because my dad goes, so in the shows that you premiered today, did they make them all at your offices? And I was just like, <laughs> dad, it's like if we were Netflix yeah. and then all the movies were just presenting the movies. He's like, yeah. oh, okay. Why did you say that? Oh. Yeah. Why didn't you say that in ex that exact way <laughs> to make me understand and I'll forget by the next time we talk. <laughs> promise you. Yes. We're going to have to have the conversation yeah. a couple times. Look, uh, Look, it's listen. the Wild West. It's podcasting. It's a brave new world. We're proud to be a part of That's it. That's right. We really are. Can we we should also thank our agent, Oren Rosenbaum, who's sure. also helped us, b guided us through this. It's been very businessy. So been there's been a lot of business. A lot of business. A lot of texts and a lot of calls. Yeah. I'm tired. Oh, uh, we, what? we have, I mean, this is a brag. Yeah. But we've, we've done over uh, 21 conference calls, I would say. <laughs> we've done like, 10 hours of work on this <laughs> so a week so we've done some serious picking yeah it's like really hard um can i do a merch corner would you uh fucking holiday merch holiday merch as girl. of today thursday whatever it is november 29th your thursday, your thursday Wait, or wednesday is there a november 29th yes this year Okay, November 29th is the holiday merch is out. We have the Lachaim Bitches t-shirt yeah. that I'm so excited for. We have some new ugly holiday sweaters with new uh, fucking quotes on them. We fucking have My Favorite Murder wrapping paper. Yes. We have My Favorite Murder motherfucking candles. Scented candles in four delicious flavors. Can I tell everyone what flavors they are? Would you please? I would love to. Hold on. Uh, let me find them. And then we can talk about that one of them is those beaver nuggets that they gave us at the <laughs> at the uh, texas um gas station okay one candle scent is canned wine canned wine another is stay out of the forest it's a piney it smells scent. like pine trees there's a uh, karen's big old cup of coffee hi coffee and then there's an elvis wanna cookie that smells like a fucking cookie C actual cookies candle. not a not a cat tuna cookie but an actual nice cookie that's right um there's a here's the thing fuck everyone sweatpants there's a, a cross stitch 
pattern. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different wrapping papers and t-shirts and so many things. And you get a free gift. Uh, first 75 orders over $50 get a free gift with purchase. Well, oh, we also have Christmas tree decor, Christmas ornaments. Uh, ornaments, we it's call them. really ornaments. They're called ornaments, yeah. It's really exciting. So yeah. go to myfavoritemurder.com. There's a shop there. You can shop. Go have fun. It's very exciting. Um, also, there's a merch store right. for Exactly Right Network. Right. And that has, uh, there's a really cool coffee mug with the logo on it. The logo's so fucking cute. I love it so much. Yeah, they did a great, the mid-roll designers, the, yeah. the, they have a design team that killed it with yeah. the merch. I love it. And there's a little, there's a little makeup pouch. There's an enamel pin that's so popular these days. So you can go to Exactly Right Media and that's our website. So if you want to follow, there'll be news and shit on that. There's a fucking newsletter. Yeah. You, right. you can get a newsletter. You can just check and, and follow along for when we post those, you know, every new podcast that we post. Right. It's going to be your, change it to your homepage. Just get in there. <laughs> get in. I don't know yeah. how to tell you how to do it. Go around your office and change everyone's at night. <laughs> change everyone's homepage to exactlyrightmedia.com. Stop landing on that Yahoo homepage. Yeah, they'll and thank get us. on over. It's all bad news anyways. Hey, do you want to hear some good news? I do. This is a, a an email that Stephen pulled um, for us. And the, t- the subject line is Alfre Woodard is my aunt. Oh my God. <gasps> Dear all, less, long time listener, first time emailer. I've been a fan since day one. I love this podcast so much. So you can imagine my joy when I was listening to episode 146 and Karen started talking about Alfre Woodard. She is my aunt by marriage, married my uncle. They met while she was teaching an acting class at his college Aww. scandal. And she is, <laughs> she's given away the family secret <laughs> and she's absolutely amazing. Unlike a lot of other Hollywood royalty. She is a big part of our family and is always at family functions. She's an amazing cook, a sparkling personality, and a fabulous mom to her two children. I was so thrilled to hear you two talk about her because she's an incredible actress. Yep. Who I think often doesn't get the recognition she deserves. The fucking, that's right. She started acting in the eighties and I can't imagine it was easy for an African American woman to get roles, but she worked her ass off to get where she is today with no favors from anyone. And not only is she a great actress you know i'm gonna start crying during oh my this God. email uh, not only is she a great actress but she and her husband roderick are total criminal justice warriors <gasps> and they're both involved in fighting against the mass incarceration of minorities and of course against everything trump you can imagine how thrilled they both were when i took the job after law school as a public defender whoa that's rad oh my god uh, well a lot of members of my family um joked about how i would be getting them out of their duis <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, and she wrote in parentheses, I roll. Alfred told me, girl, you are doing the Lord's work. <gasps> Next time I visit LA, you two should come hang at Alfred's Oh house. my God. No. Stop it. Uh, I'm officially inviting you. No. no. She'd love it. Can't. No, she would not. I'm telling you. <laughs> Stop it. Love the podcast. Love you guys. Keep on fighting the good fight. Sincerely, Marina. That, thank you so much. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, Amazing. I won't go back into it, but. Amazing. And now we have a fucking lawyer when we get our DUIs. <laughs> Cause now we have to that we're like, business people. Shh, Marina, I'm sorry I woke you up. I'm usually not like this. Remember when you invited me over? Cause you call everywhere to pick me up. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's, I love things like that. That's so great. I, because how fun is it to be able to step forward and be like, Oh, you know, your favorite celebrity? They're not an asshole. They're yeah. actually as awesome as you think that's they are. Right. Yeah. 
Yay. So nice. Good feelings. Yay. Good feelings. It's the holiday season. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do this as lightly as I can. Uh oh. You're going to, I'm not going to yell at anybody. Me? Nope. Definitely not you. Okay. Probably not Steven. Mm. This is just a general advice, piece of advice for interacting on Twitter. <laughs> let's let's hear. It. This is Twitter Corner with Karen. This is Twitter Corner with Karen. Just advice. Do yeah. you want to have fun on Twitter? Do you want to interact? Do you want people to want to interact with you? Okay. Then if somebody makes a joke and they're talking about real people and possibly real people that you and I might know, don't at anybody mm, in a response like don't at anybody who, that's real ever who are we talking can you tell me what happened um it, no i don't want people to feel <laughs> bad i really don't want feel okay. people to feel bad because okay. there's no fallout for this okay but it's just more of a touch it's like a it's like it's, a mortifying moment yes. you have to remember that we know a lot of the people in comedy that we talk about yeah and we don't want you don't need to be the person that goes and goes, I bet this person needs to know this. Karen talked about you. Don't do it. Don't. Okay. If we didn't do it, you don't need to do yeah. it. Don't do it. Okay. They don't like it. They might not like it. Yeah. Maybe they love it. We don't know. Stop assuming everybody likes it. Yeah. And don't do it. Okay. This has been <laughs> Twitter Corner. Twitter. Uh, what's the word? Twitter. Twitter Corrections Corner. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm trying to think of one for Instagram, but eh, it's fine. Don't. Nobody wants to see your food anymore? No, I want to see everyone's food. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah, that's just a preference thing. I love food photos. I don't know anything about Instagram. I shouldn't be talking at all. <laughs> Is that it? Don't take pictures of your thighs. No, and do the hashtag thighs are hot dogs. <laughs> legs, are, legs are hot dogs. Excuse me. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When they look like legs are hot dogs. That's the best. That's the best. I love People that. People being like red tan, like Hulk Hogan tan, yeah. taking pictures of their thighs. So good. Listen, celebrate. Good times. Come on. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Steven, who goes first? It's been so fucking long. It's been so long. Uh, I believe you go first. Right. It was the Lodi Haystack murders right. in Sacramento. Shit. Damn. Wow. I feel like it's been so long since we've podcasted. And we're doing it in my living room, which is weird because... The pod loft is so full of boxes and gifts and crazy things yeah. that we can't even fit up there. And luckily, we're moving to our offices this fucking weekend. I'm so excited. Exactly Guys, right offices. We have exactly right offices where the people who are on the network are, are going to come and record their podcast. That's right. It's all real and official. We're just like the Velveteen Rabbit. We're real. We're real. <laughs> oh, and we're going to get pneumonia, was it? <laughs> no, that's the secret garden. No, didn't the little boy in the Velveteen Rabbit get pneumonia and die? Did he fucking die? I think he fucking died. I only focused on the rabbit part of that story. <laughs> just like, don't, don't care about the rest. I love that children's books used to be about dying totally. children and children who die, where it's like, can you imagine? Well, it's like Charlotte's Web. It's like, get ready to cry your fucking eyes out. Yeah, that's right. Remember that thing you loved? It died. It died. Oh, I remember my mom crying so hard when she read that to us. <laughs> she like couldn't speak. I think I was like four and I remember and like seeing your mom weep. Yes. Because it's so touching. It's, it's so touching. It's so beautiful. And it also really is like, but it's, it's not a children's book. If you're getting no. into mortality shit, yeah. then ha leave the kids out of the it. The giving tree. 
Oh, the giving tree is like a story about a, a short asshole. Yeah. Who gets old and dies. Yeah. Everyone. And it's like you chop the fucking tree down. All that tree did was give you everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this guess, is and like, then it's like, guess what? The tree is your parents. Yeah, you better tree, love your parents. The, sorry. But the tree is your mother. Yeah. The tree, the tree, is, your tree is your straight up mother. That's right. And you fucking you chopped her down chop and chop you made away. her tits look terrible. Oh. Took her branches, her hot branches, her mm. hot perky branches. You always told her she embarrassed you. you That's right. Always told her she wasn't cool. You made her look like a fucking stump of a person. You you stole all her apples, and then you at the end you sit on her, and you sit right the fuck on her stump. Janet, I'm sorry. Janet, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna text her back right now. Georgia's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Janet, listen. She's Georgia like, doesn't want to have to say this herself. I'll do. No, it. No, she's like she'll be. Like, what have you done with my daughter? <laughs> That's not my daughter. My daughter. <laughs> Turn hates her over. Me. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder and here's the important note that promo code is all lowercase so go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level that's shopify.com slash murder again don't forget the code is all lowercase goodbye if you're like me you're always looking for a story to dive into whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve the key to getting hooked is the details i need rich visuals and intricate storylines and june's journey has that and more june's journey is a mobile mystery game that follows june parker a daring young woman on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder this is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as june herself Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Oh, I'm first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Listen, this is a this is a this is a rough one. It, this is like a fucking murder case. Okay. But it has positive things in it, great, including an I survived story. Amazing. And it has some, you know, it it ends. It ends. So that's good. Okay. Mine is similar. Uh-oh. If you're about to do mine, where's your place? I'm going to 
pull that pedicure off your foot. <laughs> Where does your mine takes place in Portland, Oregon? Nope. Okay, bye. We're good. Great. Because mine is called the Missoula Mauler. Missoula, Montana. Mm-hmm. Shit. Okay, I've never heard of this. This one is bananas. And there's like there's a book about it called it's by John Coston called To Kill and Kill Again. Um, but aside from that, there's really the articles are really short. There's not a ton of stuff. There's not a ton of podcasts like episodes about it. But it's fucking bananas. So okay. let us do it. Do it. Missoula, Montana. You've been there. Uh, Gets where Chris Fairbanks is from. Oh, really? Co-host of Do You Need a Ride, the oh. podcast that didn't fucking bother to put out a new episode. <laughs> and still, I mean, I couldn't, I, sorry, but I, th- there was 14 so much jobs going on. Right I planned it so poorly. And Chris was like, you want to record a new episode? And I was just like, I can't, please don't make me. And then we premiered anyway. And I was like, oh, I didn't really think that through. I should have said yes and, and like stayed up late. Oh, well. Like but anyway, but he, I will say this. You are enough, Karen. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but new episodes are coming. Okay. And and we're going to start booking, like, we're going to start getting back into our old booking routine. Yeah. And Steven is our sound guy. That's Steven's right. in the car in with the us. In the car. I'm not. I get car sick. Yeah. And I'm not part of the podcast. You were on it once. I was on it once. Yeah. You can take Elvis with you if you want. <laughs> He loves car rides. He loves car rides. You know, cats. Okay, Missoula, Montana, where Chris Fairbanks is from. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 1970s, it's a place, it's the kind of fucking place we always hear about where people leave their doors unlocked. Women feel comfortable walking home alone at night. It's, you know, this is this is their story of when that fucking stops, which yeah. every town has either in the 70s or 80s, maybe the 90s if they're lucky. And in that they felt that way until the 1970s. So first, in on February 5th, 1974, a five-year-old girl named Siobhan McGinnis disappeared just a few blocks walk from her home. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where like she left her... At night she left her friend's house she's five years old five her friend walks her halfway there and says okay go the rest of the way by yourself which was totally fine five years old yeah that's too young it's so sad but it's like how things were back it, then. it was absolutely how things it were. has how things were when i grew up too i was fucking always alone yeah and she disappears and is shortly later found stabbed and sexually assaulted nearby uh, and that kind this that isn't part of this this missoula uh, Mahler, he's later, uh, exonerated through DNA, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of, it's, you know, it has to be mentioned as what happened in Missoula to change it. Yeah. So, uh, her murder is still unsolved. And then what follows her murder is 12 years of seemingly random murders and a series of home intrusions and attempted rapes that terrifies the residents of Missoula and changes the small town way of life forever. Wow. And that's the, where the Missoula Mahler comes in. Okay. So the first confirmed murder known to have been committed by the Missoula Mahler happened on April 11, 1974. It's just like a little after two months before little Siobhan had been murdered. So two months later, the town is still fucking reeling. They still don't know who did it. Donna Pounds, she's a homemaker. She gets home from uh, an outing around 1.30 in the afternoon. And uh, her husband was at work. Her teenage daughter's at school. Her teenage son had joined the army. So she expected to come home to an empty fucking house. Mm-hmm. And But once she's in the door, she's surprised by an intruder. The intruder had gone into the parents' bedroom and taken the gun, 
I don't know what kind of gun. Her husband's gun from its hiding place in the parents' bedroom. He knew where it was. So I bet you it's like a handgun, right? If there's a hiding place, yeah. it's hard to hide a, ri- a rifle. I Probably. Yeah. And the intruder walks Donna at gunpoint to her bedroom where he had been fucking hanging out in the house and had already fucking put the ligatures and ties on the Ugh, bed. Gross. I know. This is really awful. Just a warning. Um, yeah. This is called my favorite murder. <laughs> we do awful here. We do awful. He ties Donna up. He rapes her. He takes her down to the basement and shoots her in the back of the head five oh. times. It's awful. Her husband, Harvey, who's a fucking preacher who has a radio show where he's actually been fucking preaching about the evils that is taking over the town because of Siobhan's murder recently oh, comes no. home to find uh, that evening to find his fucking wife dead in the basement. It's so fucking awful. And there's this really creepy uh, thing I heard, like a little fact that creeped me out on the podcast called Dark Topic that said that the dad got home in the evening after work. The daughter, teenage daughter, was hanging out watching TV. He's like, where's your mom? She's like, I don't know where she is, but I don't know why all these ropes are around the house. Oh, no. How creepy is that? That's horrifying. And he was like, what the fuck's going on? Went in the bedroom, realized something was going on, went down to the basement. Oh, no. I know. So then the, the husband found her. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Okay. Police find a suspect when a witness comes forward and says that they saw a local neighborhood boy or teen lurking in the backyard on the same afternoon of the murder. Oh. The teenager is 18 year old Wayne Nance he's actually friends with the teenage kids of the pound the pound kids and his son this teenage son who's in the army had like randomly casually told Wayne where the gun was hidden no fucking shit and then when investigators search Wayne's house they find a pair of bloody underwear and a 22 cal and 22 caliber bullets and they also uncover satanic books and a wire hanger shaped into a pen- pentagram that Wayne had used to fucking brand himself. Wayne you you need to get out in the sunlight and get some vitamin D <laughs> because if you leave yourself in a room too long yeah. and read it enough crazy ass books yeah you're gonna start doing things to yourself yeah you're gonna start listening to the craziness in your head that's right none of that would be helpful to a person that's actually mentally ill but (laughs) it just makes me think of when i'm really bored at work and i take i just have this very bad habit of i start to take paper clips and unfold them and fold them back i found them in the pot loft (laughs) all the time you there are just dozens and dozens of unfurled paper clips and it's like karen's been here (laughs) and also i just was thinking the second you said that i went i wonder what shapes those paper clips end up in because i'm not trying to do a shape (laughs) what have i just kept finding like kill like it just says kill you're actually really skilled yeah it's a perfectly like um sculpted knife yeah whoa how did she do that she welded the two ends i'm not gonna tell her she does that because (laughs) i don't want it's like waking a sleepwalker yes i don't want to scare karen of herself i'm scared Um, so yeah, so he's fucking bananas. He's known around town as a teenager for being a weirdo. Um, and there's also indications of animal sacrifices on the banks, uh, of the nearby Clark Ford River. Oh no. So, so it seems like, you know, there's a satanic panic bullshit. This is way, but I think before it happened in 74, but I think that there are kids who are, or like teens who are crazy and want to, you know, 
pretend that Satan is somehow stirring them or they're fucking mentally ill and that's what they do. So. Well, yeah, usually that's like, you know, the old psychopath trifecta or whatever, where yeah. it's harming animals. It, it, dovetails very nicely into that the satanic ritual yeah. shit because then it's like oh i already had the compulsion to kill this living right. thing and it's someone and someone approves of it you right. know if i read yes. about this it's a, like i'm doing something good and it what makes me feel like strong or safer yeah. or you know that was pure speculation corner with karen and george <laughs> i mean i am not a doctor and i'm not a satanist <laughs> So don't listen to anything I say. Dr. Satanist, is that you? Well, hello and welcome to hell. <laughs> okay. Da, 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 da. Okay. Um, the Missoula County attorney at the time, his name is Robert du, du, Duchamps. Duchamps? <laughs> is that how you say it? I'm pretty sure it's Duchamps. Uh, he goes by Dusty. Cool. He he issues a subpoena. He's like, this guy's fucking nuts. He's 18. Let's get him in prison immediately. Issues a subpoena, puts Wayne in front of a grand jury wanting to indict him. It's the first grand jury since World War II in Missoula. Wow. But the grand jury, after all this fucking evidence, they rule there's insufficient evidence to charge Wayne as a suspect. Plus, he had passed a fucking polygraph, which yeah. we know now means he was f fucking diabolical. Or it was an inaccurate... Right. Right. They or the person giving it was bad at it. I mean... Any number of things. One of those little heart monitor things could have just fallen off and down his shirt. Right. Uh, <laughs> the first thing that passes through my head, though, is he could have... That that uh, it is circumstantial evidence. Yeah, all those things right. don't necessarily add up to murdering this totally. Woman and and I, raping it doesn't her. say anything about the underwear being the bloody underwear belonging to Donna. It doesn't say anything like that. So I bet you that if that was a provable thing, it right? Would have, you know. There was DNA. Obviously, they let him go. And Dusty said, "I did everything I could think of." He was cool and collected as a tombstone, and he he like questioned him for hours, and wow. he was just chill. Ooh. Yeah. Is chill the word? No. <laughs> <laughs> he was cool. So cool. Dude. Yeah. No. In the decade that follows, Wayne straightens out, stops his satanic bullshit, and joins the Navy. He's then becomes, you know, stops being the weird around town, becomes known as a normal dude um, in Missoula. He becomes a truck driver and a part-time either bouncer or bartender at a local bar. It says different things in different places. I mean, at a bar in Missoula, you probably do both, right? Double duty. <laughs> you let people in, and as yeah. you're like, you look at their ID, you hand it back to them, then you're like, what would you like to have tonight? And you walk along with them up to the bar. Right. Wash your hands real quick. Right, right, right. Hopefully. No. Yeah. Maybe. Dry them off on your jeans. That's right. Make that gin and tonic. <laughs> But meanwhile, between 1975 and 1984, three unidentified bodies of teenage girls who are all decomposed beyond recognition are found around the Missoula area, all wow. murdered. Oh, okay. Keep that in your brain for okay. now. Uh, oh, no, wait. They're all Jane Doe's and they're given names based on the location of their discovery. So there's Betty Beavertail. Debbie Deer Creek and Christy Crystal Creek. Mm. But it's not until Wayne Nance's final attack that he's finally tied to these Jane Doe's. Whoa. Okay, we're going to skip around a little. Okay. All right, so keep those in mind. Okay. And and then let's fast forward to 1986. So we were in 1974 when, uh, when um, Debbie Pound died or was murdered. Now we're in 1986, almost 12 years later. Wayne is now 30. 
Uh, he works driving a truck as a mover at a furniture company owned by uh, a couple, Doug and Chris Wells. They're uh, like, I can't tell. It doesn't say how old they are. They look like they're in their 40s or attractive couple. Chris, female Chris. Um, she kind of looks like an American princess Diana kind of a thing. Like wow. pretty. They look all American, normal fucking people. Can I sidebar one thing? Always. My sister forces me to watch the TV she likes when I go visit her. So I was home for Thanksgiving and I find myself watching <laughs> Meghan Markle and American Princess. Oh my God. <laughs> and crying. You were crying. Because there's all, you know, they talk so much about the way Princess Diana raised those boys and how hands-on she was with them and how different she wanted their lives to be from most royalty and then just like and then being like and it and marrying her is all of those things that she wants that harry is now this embodiment of the beauty of his mother and her humanitarian efforts and did they talk about when he dressed up as a nazi for halloween one year mention (laughs) it great um but no it was just it was all about because, I, you know, what's funny is I, when I watch that, I watch them get married. Please don't tell any of my Irish relatives because they're very against British oh, culture, okay. especially the royalty. Uh-huh. Um, they've colonized Ireland and killed many of us. But look, <laughs> listen, listen, Megan, the, when I watched that wedding, it was so beautiful. And the fact that there was this very strong African American yes. cultural aspect to yes. it was so fucking cool totally. and so modern. And it just felt like this special was all about, there was all these talking head people, American and British who were just kind of like, this is the way of the future. And this is the Royal family updating themselves and being like, we're not like this dusty yeah. old group of inbred weirdos were like we're of the world yeah, and yeah. these boys are bringing us to the future i love it anyhow <laughs> uh, now i love bravo television um i gotta try that sometime i'm really sorry that was an, a, an inappropriate sidebar uh on top no, of everything else it's okay okay uh that's what this podcast is called mm. so it turns out it's called i challenge you to get back into this terrible subject <laughs> Well, let me get back into it. So Wayne, he's working as a mover at this furniture company where Chris with a K, uh, she works, um, he works, whatever. He, it turns out he had been secretly stalking her for several months. Mm. Okay. On the night of September 4th, 1986, Wayne shows up at the Wells house. What's up? Chit chatty on the fucking lawn and asks Doug if he could borrow a flashlight. <sighs> Doug's like, Great, come on into the fucking garage. They get in the garage and Wayne hits Doug over the head with a block of wood. Doug begins bleeding from a deep scalp wound, but he still tries to fight Wayne off. Wayne picks up a lead pipe and beats Doug until he's unconscious. This ends well, don't worry. Uh Just a warning. I shouldn't have told you that. Okay. He pulls out. Okay, wait. Okay, then Wayne pulls out a revolver and grabs Chris, the wife, and forces her to the second floor bedroom where he ties her to the bed. Once she's secure, he goes, Wayne goes back downstairs and drags the unconscious Doug into the fucking basement. He take, he, and he ties him up to a post with clothesline. Mm. And then meanwhile, Doug begins to fucking wake up and Wayne beats him more. Then he takes out a fucking oak handle kitchen knife and stabs Doug in the fucking chest, puncturing one of his fucking lungs. Oh God. Wayne, then leaves him down there in the basement, goes back upstairs uh, where Chris is tied up. Okay. Despite his injuries, Doug fucking 
breaks free of his bindings. No. Then even with a fucking head wound and a pierced lung, he fucking pulls himself over to his workbench where earlier that fucking day he had placed an antique lever action savage rifle. Good job. Earlier that day, grabs a rifle, puts a single bullet into it. He's in a hurry. Uh, he, he in his mind, is like, okay, if I just run into the bedroom and confront Wayne, he's going to use Chris as a shield. Yeah. So instead he knocks on the fucking wall with the rifle. Ooh. Wayne comes to go downstairs and see what the hell's going on. Wayne is crouched on the, like by the stairs on the first floor landing, takes aim and fires his single bullet at Wayne. The bullet hits Wayne in the side and knocks him over. But Wayne gets back up, even though his abdomen had a freaking bullet in it, starts to crawl back to the bedroom. Jesus. I know. Everyone is like on fucking angel dust. Yeah, for real. Doug is now out of bullets because he only put one bullet in the gun. He starts hitting Wayne uh, with the wooden butt of his rifle until the butt uh, of the gun splinters. Wow. He's fucking hitting him with it. Wayne is still trying to get to the bedroom, makes it to the bedroom where, but uh, an equally badass Chris had, after hearing the rifle go off, was like, did my husband just get shot? She fucking broke free of her bindings, Whoa. except for one arm is still attached. So when Wayne crawls in while, while he's, while her husband is hitting him with the butt of the rifle, fucking Chris starts beating him up with her fists and kicking him. <laughs> Whoa, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then Wayne pulls a gun from its pouch on his belt. I wonder if maybe his pants were off and the belt was in the bedroom and then he got to the, you know what I mean? Oh, right. He knew say. he had a gun there. Yeah. Right. Uh, he fires at Doug, misses him. Oh, thank God. A second shot catches Doug just above the knee, but Doug keeps coming at him. Now the splintered butt's not working. So he starts hitting with the barrel of the rifle, which ends up getting so bent out of shape, it turns into an L from the force of hitting. What at in Wayne. the fuck? Yeah. They're, they're fighting, they're tussling, they're fucking fighting for guns and shit. Someone hits, it's at night. Someone hits the fucking lamp, it crashes to the ground, the lights go off, it's dark. Are you kidding? This is a movie. It's in the dark. Yes. Fuck. While the, while it's in the dark, another shot rings out. (sighs) Who, what happened? What's going on? When they're finally able to get the light on, Wayne Nance is lying on the floor, dying. Oh, thank God. Uh, we don't know if it's accidental or on purpose, but Wayne had shot himself in the head. What? There are, there's a bunch of different versions. Uh, people say he did it on purpose. Like he knew he was going to get killed. So he just shot himself and didn't want to get caught and taken to prison. There's a Reddit user that says that as Wayne was shooting at Doug in the dark, Doug's maybe smacked him in the arm and it sent the barrel up to his own head and Mm -hmm. shot himself in the skull. Sure. Maybe. Um, but after the attack, which both of the fucking wells survive. Oh, oh thank God. Can you freaking believe oh, that? Oh, my God. They survived. That's incredible. I know. Uh, and Wayne dies. Wow. Yeah. So now after the attack, the officers get a search warrant for Wayne's house and they turn up items there, which link him to at least three murders and other cold cases and break-ins in the fucking area. Shit. All right. So remember those Jane does. So, uh, the body of Debbie Deer Creek was, she was a teenager and she had been found in an advanced state of decomposition on December 24th, Christmas Eve. Uh, in case you didn't know, <laughs> 1984, um, she had been found by a hiker in a frozen grave alongside Deer Creek Road almost two years before Wayne's death. 
So when Wayne's house was searched after his death, there was hair belonging to her found there. Like they could tell by the dye patterns and stuff that it was hers. Mm. And investigators were able to connect her to a photo she was in with Wayne. They're like, this is our Jane Doe that they found a photo of him. And you can see it online. Amazing. Um, she, but they didn't have a name for her. She had been a drifter that patrons of the bar where Wayne worked. They knew her as just Robin. They said that like they were together and, uh, but she disappeared just a few weeks after moving in with Wayne. Ugh. And it wasn't until, so she was found in 84. It wasn't until 2006 that her real identity was finally found. Wow. After uh, over three decades of her brother, Derek Bachman, searching for her since she had left home when he was 14. Oh, no. I know. And so they were from uh, Vancouver, Washington. So this whole time he was convinced that it was the Green River Killer that had killed her. Right. But they finally put this together when he saw a, like a drawing of her of the you know unidentified body he was like I think that's my sister and kept hounding them to do DNA tests so finally they did it and through uh, new advanced DNA techniques she was identified as Marcella nicknamed Marcy Bachman and she had run away from Vancouver Washington when she was 15 um, and she had conf- after she had confided in her brother that their stepfather had been molesting her oh, and God. so her for- poor fucking brother who was 14 like helped her pack her bags to get the fuck out of the house yes and he always felt guilty about that and just spent his life trying to track her down oh god i know what a hideous situation what else is he supposed to do like make her stay he has to help her leave yeah and he's 14 he doesn't get to make he can't make decisions like that those are huge decisions it's so unfair it is um and then so wayne nance had taken her in quote after she was left by a truck driver in the area Wayne claimed that she had left the area in September 1984, but when her body was found and identified, she had actually been killed with three gunshots to the head. So it wasn't uh, like moving in, quote unquote, with him. It wasn't that. It was like he was like, I have a safe place for you to stay. Yeah. And she believed him. Or yeah. Or they were together, maybe. Who the fuck knows? Mm. And he's dead. So we can't answer these fucking questions. Right. They just have. Well, they. I guess they were together long enough to get a picture taken yeah. and developed. And it's so. like a couple like uh, it's, no it's like a couple's like um you know photo booth photo oh oh got it's it like one of those fucking 1980s like photo booth like they look like a your mom and dad uh. couple um so another link came when uh investigators turned at, at the house uh, of wayne turned up a kelgan hunting knife which is just like a cool looking little hunting knife and a small ceramic statue of an elk. They found that when they searched his residence. So here's where those come in. In December 1985, someone had broken into the home of Michael and Teresa Shook, where they lived with their four children in Ravali, which is about an hour from Missoula. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. <laughs> Spell it like you say it. Mike. So Michael and Teresa had been tied up and shot in their home. And afterwards, their house had been set on fire with the four kids in it. Okay, this sounds familiar. The Michael Shook. Yeah. It. But did he die in that fire? Yes. Okay. So the parents died. But luckily, one of the neighbors noticed the fire and they were able to get all the kids out of the fucking house. Oh, thank God. I know. Thank God. Um, so following their investigation... Uh, of the burned down house the of the shook house the police determined that only two that two items had been taken from the home a hunting knife and a ceramic elk whoa and they found them in fucking wayne's house and this is so creepy there was a photo of wayne's dad george at christmas receiving 
a fucking ceramic elk as a Christmas present right at the time of the murders. This is textbook weirdo serial killer behavior. Seriously. Like how, like the feeling he must have gotten when his dad unwrapped it was like, oh, I love it. Thank you. And he fucking knew. And he's standing there with like weird red pupils like, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's that trophy shit those serial killers love. Creeps. Fucking assholes. Okay. Due to the similar location and MO, police um, believe that he's also responsible for the death of a teenager whose body was discovered on a road, one of the other uh, Jane Doe's uh, in Missoula on Jan- in January 1980, who is dubbed Betty Beavertail. She wasn't identified until 2009 with DNA testing as Devonna Nelson. She was a 15-year-old runaway from Seattle. Uh, there's like, I can't find any more information on her. It's kind of sad. Um, she had been stabbed to death. Mm. Um, and the other Jane Doe is still unidentified. Wow. She was uh, Christy Crystal Creek. And on, she was found on September 9th, 1985. Uh, her skeletal remains of an Asian woman who had who was between 18 and 35 years old. Um, she was found by a hunter in Missoula. And she had been killed by two 32 caliber bullets to her head. And I feel like they need to do a re like a redrawing of her because the creepy ass like, uh, you know, paper mache thing that they have of her is like, it doesn't look like anyone. It's so creepy. Yeah, like they need to redo it. Updated, I An guess. update. Yeah. Listen, Missoula, let me tell you how to do shit. <laughs> well, but it, these things that happened in the 80s, you it's that thing of like, well, I just, you know, I guess it didn't work out or whatever, where it's yeah. like, you, they need that fresh cold case team to come in with like the young bloods that are like, no, we need to do all the updates and all yeah. the DNA. Where Even though like, you think the murderer is dead, you still need to give, you know, that, her identity back to her family. Right, because she could have that a young brother that's been looking for her. Like, totally. There's, yeah, you have to do it for the family. Exactly. Um, so Chris and Doug Wells had survived their attack by Wayne Nance. Um, Chris, they, they now own a gun shop in Missoula. Of course they fucking do. I'm sure. Like, Great. And a Reddit user claims that, uh, Doug teaches classes at Quantico on tactical survival training. Whoa. But I don't know if that's true, but I want to take that fucking class if so. But he would have a long commute. Quantico is in <laughs> Virginia. They fucking helicopter him in. They're like, whatever you need, Mr. Wells. <laughs> they black ops that guy in. They yeah. repel up his gunshot. They're so polite to him because they just don't know he is capable of anything. They're like, you. We heard what you did in that house. Yeah. We heard the 17 levels of totally of survival and, uh, you're James Bond. It's, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and Wayne Nance is one of the only serial killers who was murdered by his own victims. That's amazing. Yeah. Back in Chris and Doug Wells. Uh, and that's the story of the fucking Missoula Mauler. The Missoula Mauler. Who knew? Never who? heard a word of it. Chris Fairbanks hasn't mentioned a word what that probably fuck, doesn't Chris? know anything about it. That's so crazy. I was just like layer. I didn't know how to like write that story because it's like, do I open with him dying? But then how do I tell these other like it was just like a really hard. I think you did great. Okay, thank you. Um, well, and also because uh, Montana is so country. Yeah, and it's so like. Uh, you know, it's frontier people. Yeah. It's people who, who, who have guns, have trucks, like they're out in the country. That's their lifestyle. Yeah. So it's they're like, all kind of, they have a level of badassness that we don't, we city folks don't fucking have. That's right. They're, they're used to, um, dealing with the elements and dealing yeah. with nature and wildlife and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, wow. That's yeah. kind of amazing. That's yeah. great. 
Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Okay, so mine also has an exciting survival aspect to it. Fun. And I got this this story. I watched a show called Shattered, which is on the ID channel. And if you haven't seen it, this is like my new favorite true crime show because it's a very... It's about the impact of people who get it, are involved with true crime, whether it's the detective solving the case or a survivor from a, from like uh-huh. a serial killer attack or whatever it is. And the way it's, it reminds me a lot of I survived in that way where they construct the story around those people's stories. Right. Um, and the, and that kind of first person. And it's so effective. And this episode I called, um, I watched was called The Wood. And so this is the story of Portland's Forest Park killer and survivor Shelley Harding. Mm. Um, so I'm basically retelling Shattered's story of the Forest Park killer. It's such a good, satisfying way to hear, hear a true crime story. And so I'm essentially just retelling their, uh, the way they presented it. So it's November 3rd, 1992. And 26-year-old Shelly Harding is seven months pregnant. She is done working for the night. Uh, there's no buses running, and it's a cold winter night. And so she has to start walking Mm-mm. home. Um, and she's pregnant? Seven months pregnant. No, too many months to be walking. I know. So she starts walking through a parking lot, and this car pulls over, and the driver asks her if she needs a ride home. And she sees there's two car seats in the back seat, and Mm. the guy seems like this nerdy, harmless dude. Mm -mm. And her feet hurt really bad, and it's been a long day, and she's seven months pregnant. After five blocks, his demeanor suddenly changes. Mm. He's no longer the person that offered her the ride. Mm. He locks the doors and pulls out a knife. And in this in on the show shattered shelly says you could feel his rage mm. and she she starts to panic but then she sees he's also panicking mm. so there's a she's is like really scary because he was not in control it was right. just like here's a person freaking out and then as he's pulling this knife and starting to um you know attack her he rear ends another car <gasps> so Two guys get out of the car, he hits, and Shelly's like, oh my God, thank God I'm going to be rescued. And then the guy 
who pulled the knife on her, the driver, speeds away <gasps> and leaves the scene of the crime and ends up driving her into the woods. Oh, my God. No. Yeah. So she realizes he's going to kill her. Her baby is never going to get born. So she starts touching everything she can in the car. And then she's acting like she likes him. And she's trying to just basically keep him from killing her. Mm -hmm. He puts a seatbelt around her neck. (gasps) He strangles her and he rapes her multiple times. Oh, my God. When the assaults are all over, he begins to cry. Which, how fucking unnerving is that? Dude. So she comforts him. She says it's okay. And that if he just lets her go, she's not going to tell anybody. Just take her back to that parking lot. And he does it. (gasps) And she gets out of the car and she fucking gets away. Oh my God. So she, she gets taken to the hospital and uh, calls the police and Detective Dave Schlegel meets her at the hospital. And he is so impressed that she survived this fucking attack. And he knows she's really strong and, you know, there's something like in her. So um, together they decide they're going to try to catch this guy. Fuck. And... Yeah, and the, and I'll, of course, the, Dave Schlegel is is on the show, and he's now retired, and he's got like the handlebar mustache mm. and the transition lenses, and he's so soft spoken, and he's one of the good guys. Yeah, yeah, you can just tell. So luckily, those two guys that got rear-ended <gasps> wrote down the license plate <gasps> as the rapist drove away. Oh my god! So they called it into the cops. So the police investigate the car and they find all of she- Shelley's fingerprints inside it. Yeah, and so they arrest Todd Allen Reed for the rape and kidnapping of Shelley Harding. Holy shit! Okay. So Todd Allen Reed was born in Portland on May 22nd, 1967, nine days after his parents, Ronnie and Alfred, were married. When he's four, his parents get divorced. His mom remarries a man named Robert Reed. Um, Todd and his little brother are adopted by Robert Reed, uh, who later says that Todd was a little standoffish and maybe uncomfortable having a father figure out around after not having one for a mm-hmm. while. Although... He is a fully grown adult talking about a four-year-old being standoffish. Right. So maybe he's the fucking creep. Maybe there's a reason a four-year-old would want to be standoffish. Right. We don't know who's to say. Yeah. 1979, Todd's mom and uh, Reed get a divorce. Two years later, in 1981, at the age of 14, uh, Todd has his first run-in with the authorities. He's arrested for threat for theft and he's sent to a residential program for at risk youth. And while he's there, he takes his GED, begins college level courses in accounting and horticulture at 14. Um, yes. Holy shit. Uh, so people, uh, let's see, it's 81, 84, he's 19. So yeah. Yeah. Basically he did all that. People say he's like a sensitive guy and he, uh, like going through that, at that program, he um, becomes gainfully employed and he begins writing poetry. Oh, great. So I'm sure it was beautiful. Yeah, he, he truly contains multitudes. So in 1986, Reed is 19. Okay. He meets a girl, a 15-year-old girl named Gail Bennett. Uh, neither of them have any money or an apartment, but they decide they're going to live together. Great. So they stay at other people's homes or they just sent, set up tents in people's fields Ugh. to eat they burglarize homes and steal food and wine so they sound irritating <laughs> at the very least mm-hmm. um 
Hey, do you mind if I just like throw up this tent yeah. in your backyard? No, we love this life, man. When you're gone, I'm going to probably eat all your crackers. I'll leave you a poem in payment. <laughs> That's art. It's fucking, it's worth. It's priceless. It's priceless. In 1987, Todd gets caught breaking and entering. He's arrested. He serves a short stint in the big house. Uh, not long enough, though. Though, I, so I have a speech impediment this episode. Okay. Just so, this is like a <laughs> Very special. Easter egg that I'm planting. Mm. Yeah. In 1988, the same judge who sentenced him for breaking and entering mm-hmm. performs the wedding ceremony what? between he and uh, Gail. They wanted to prove to him that they were going to make it. Mm, that's, I mean, not unnecessary. A, not a reason to get married. Yes. That's unnecessary. Not a reason to get married. Wait until you meet the person that you can't you just love with all your heart and not somebody who will prove an argument, prove you right in an argument with a a judge. You're right. Let's, let's use marriage for its actual use, Mm -hmm. which is, which is for the Lord to prove to the the girls from your high school that you can get that good D. (laughs) Todd and Gail have two children. That's right, Kelly. I fucking showed you. (laughs) You said I was fat. Look at me now. Todd and Gail have two children, and Todd gets two night jobs, one at the Sizzler mm. and one at Safeway. Okay. Safeway's an infamous grocery store chain here on the West Coast, and I think a bit a bit in the uh, central... started there. Maybe the mid-Atlantic Whatever. region of the United States. We're not here for fucking big grocery, to <laughs> promote big grocery stores. But if you're going to promote big grocery, please shop at Safeway. <laughs> In his spare time, it doesn't sound like a grocery store at all. No. It's like an emergency clinic. <laughs> In his spare time, Todd reads the poems he's written at the local cafe. Oh. Gail says of these poems that they were full of longing and not pretty flowers and butterflies. Okay. Gail, stop defending his shit poetry. Yeah. This is the 90s now? So it's like fucking art house, like coffee house? We're late 80s. Okay. So he's, he's, he's like on the forefront of the fucking boring ass open mic cafe bullshit he's slamming poems oh that's right slamming these poems that's right which basically means you say it like this (laughs) gesture 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 long leather coat Mm -hmm. it seems on the outside he's getting his life together but in truth todd spent his days calling phone sex lines Mm. because it's the late 80s yeah it is and he's a hack and watching porn and hiding it and his phone bills from his young wife gail great he showed that judge (laughs) <laughs> I can watch more porn than you can, Judge, yeah. while I'm sleeping in a field. In 1989, about a year after their wedding, uh, Todd is arrested for rape and the kid, the rape and kidnapping of Shelly Harding. He pleads no contest. He fucking serves three years. Wait, this is our pregnant friend? We've now caught up to the okay. attack of Shelly Harding. He gets caught. Yay. He gets caught. Awesome. He gets arrested. He gets thrown in jail. He serves three years. Three fucking years. Fuck, For man. the attempted rape, and, uh, I mean, the attempted murder and rape of this woman. I mean, the laws should go, I feel like they're, uh, back then they're guilty for some, like the, all the murders and rapes that happened after because there was such shitty sentencing. Yeah. You know? Yes. Well, like when they get out after yeah. having their, their time reduced right. and then they go on to do multiple murders right. and attacks and rapes. Yeah, exactly. It's a disgrace. Okay. So this is when... This is right when taking DNA becomes the standard. It's like at the very beginning. So when he gets out, they take his DNA. So uh, 
1997, Gail divorces Todd, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. He has to pay child support. He's granted visits every other weekend. Oh, you're a you're a, actually a convicted rapist right. and attempted murderer. Right. Okay, then you only get every other weekend yeah. with your my, children. My dad, who's a good guy, got that. <laughs> Can you not? Shit. <laughs> Could you please? Okay, so now Shelly Harding, on the other hand is not doing well at all because, of course, she has suffered severe trauma. Yeah, that lasts longer than three fucking years. Yeah, she drinks. She's really into using drugs. Her baby gets taken away from her because she's unable to care for the baby properly. And on the show, it's heartbreaking, Shelly says. And she, on the show, looks like any mom. Yeah. She's got, like, a cute blouse on and a little brown bob, and she looks completely like anyone you'd see yeah. at a Safeway. <laughs> this show's not brought to you by Safeway. <laughs> I did my... Oh, so on the show, she says, I did my best to become that piece of dirt that everyone thought I was, and my what life went downhill very fast. Oh, so awful. I would like to say this here. This is a great example of... When you start telling yourself stuff because you are in trauma, you're in a bad place, when you're like, everybody thinks I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. If you're hearing messages like that from within your own head, you have to pause it and you have to step out and go, that could also not be true at all. Everyone could love me. Right. Because when you get into that mindset, you start making bad decisions for yourself as punishment and you don't deserve that punishment. That's beautiful, Karen. Well, it's fucking true. You watch this woman say this and you're just like, fuck, no. No one thinks you're bad. Yeah, like no. I'm like, no one thinks you're bad because this horrible fucking thing happened to you. No. But in your mind, I, yeah. I you mean, I say shit to myself that's horrible all the time. So. Right. You have to remember horrible shit happens to a lot of people. Yeah. And, if, and probably if they heard your interior monologue knowing what happened to you, they would want to hug you. Right. They, 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 it's not like that. Yeah. So anyway. But of course... Also, when you're an addict and when you're in drugs, like you don't yeah. have that kind of space and reason and you can't make good decisions. Totally. So she describes herself. She's like, you know, that girl that you see sometimes in the bad part of town walking around mumbling to herself with no shoes on. She's like, that was me. Holy shit. I was in that life. It was really, really bad. Um, <clears throat> she finally, she's strung out, you know, whatever. She finally gets into rehab. And when she's in rehab, she makes friends with another addict that's there named Lila Moeller. They, they become close friends actually in rehab mm-hmm. and get sober together. And then one day Lila leaves and she doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. And after two weeks pass, Shelly knows something bad has happened to her because usually like if you're in rehab and you go out right. and you get strung out, you come back right. and you, you start over and you should do that. Yeah. Um, but Shelly knows like this isn't, this is way too long. And then literally Shelly goes into the day room one day and she sees a news report mm-hmm. that two bodies have been found in Forest Park. <gasps> so on May 7th, the nude strangled body of a woman is found in a heavily wooded area of forest park. That's that's it's the big park in Portland and the body is um, eventually identified as 28 year old Lila Moeller. So the next day, the body of 26 year old Stephanie Russell is found close to where Lila's Holy body is found. Shit. And in that same, it's in the same level of state of decomposition. And then on June 2nd, the body of Alexandria Nicole Eisen is found in the same area, also nude, also strangled. Oh so all God. three of them, same MO. And Alexandria was only 17. Ugh. 
all three of these women had been sex workers on West Burnside Street, and they all looked relatively similar to each other. So the Portland police set up a task force, and Detective Schlegel reaches out to Shelley Harding and asks for her help Mm. in um, accessing the the sex worker community so that they will not be paranoid of him, that they will actually help him and give him information he can use because he knows that that's where it's happening. And that's, you know, where they would probably have lots of information, people that they've seen creeps or whatever. And he wants them to be honest with him and not be afraid. So, um, he tells Shelly if he, if she can vouch for him that he's not there to arrest anybody just to get information so they can find this predator that's killing sex workers. Yeah. So Shelly does that. She vouches for him. And, um, she says because he treated her with respect and empathy and that quote, he was the first person in a long time that I could trust. <sighs> so he is like truly doing amazing <sighs> police work and the, and the kind. The good kind that actually fucking gets crime solved. Yeah. When you care about the people that you're, you know. Yeah, and you don't see them as just sex workers or drug addicts. Exactly. And it's just like, maybe there's a reason people need to take drugs. Right. Maybe really shitty things happen to them. Right. And it all... There's. I remember watching this thing one time and there was a guy that was like... um, He was a rehab like counselor. And he said, um, it's like you don't... It's like when you see a fox with his leg in a trap, you know, you don't, you don't think he's stupid for staying in that one spot. But if there's snow over the trap and you just see a fox standing there crying, you, you, you know, you don't have any empathy, but it's like, you have to see past what the exterior, you know, context is and Mm -hmm. see that, that how drugs just debilitate people, yeah. but they are sometimes like this necessary escape. Right. If you've really been through some shit. Amen. Anyway, so that's what this detective was doing, which is, I love it. And it's amazing. And to see them talking about it together on the show is so cool. So they decide this task force sets up a sting operation. So they have a female de- detective or undercover cop who looks like the three women mm-hmm. whose bodies have been found. And they dress her up as the decoy on Burnside Street. So on July 7th, 1999, they see a man in a Mitsubishi Eclipse stalking this decoy. And he's parked behind her so he can watch her without being seen. And when Detective Dave Schlegel drives by and he looks at the stalker, the hair on the back of his neck no. stands up because it's fucking Todd Allen Reed. No. The sex offender who'd gone to jail for raping and attempting to kill Shelly Harding. And he is sitting there in his car watching their decoy because he got released from prison and he's back fucking doing exactly the same Holy thing. Holy shit. He was sentenced to 12 years, but no. he, got, he got out in three. That, mm truth and sentencing laws, people. Right. Now, Here's how Shelley Harding found out that Todd Allen Reed got out of jail. Oh, right. Because they, they don't fucking tell the victim. No. Or they didn't then. Yeah. I don't know. They might They might have updated that system. She's in a restaurant and he walks by her. <gasps> Holy shit. Yeah. So she says in the show, she tells the story. And she said she thought she was hallucinating. That's, that is unacceptable. It's, it's inhumane. It's the it worst is. fucking thing. So he walks by her and she's going, he's really there. She jumps up from her table and follows him out of the restaurant yelling he hey you tried to kill me hey and she's screaming he won't (gasps) he didn't turn his head he never acknowledged that she was behind him he just got into his car as if nothing was (gasps) happening and she said by the time they got outside he she was screaming yeah and he just got into his car and drove away as if 
nothing ever she happened. She is badass. She's, she's fucking cool. So Dave Schlegel realizes this is, as he drives by, it's the fucking convicted sex offender that he, that he put in jail. Right. Um, who's now stalking the decoy. They pull Reed over to uh, question him. They, in his car, they find a novel called The Killing Gift, which is about a woman who kills 16 men without touching them. They also find yellow strapping material mm-hmm. in the car, which is like that. It's basically seatbelt material. Mm-hmm. And, but of course, this is all, it's not enough to arrest right. him. So instead, they, they question him, they let him go. And then he becomes the prime suspect in the Forest Park killings. Of and the police begin, um, surveilling him 24 hours a day for the next 11 days, mm-hmm. waiting for the DNA, um, tests to come back. Oh, shit. And then on July 18th, 1999, the crime lab finds that the DNA taken from the condom that was found next to Lila Muller's body and the swabs taken from Russell's body match Todd Reed's DNA that was taken when he was Mm -hmm. um, in jail. Mm -hmm. So it matches everything. Amazing. They go to Todd Allen Reed's job at Ranella's Produce in Southeast Portland and they arrest him. And of course, everyone he works with cannot believe (laughs) it's him. Right, right. so when Detective Schlegel goes to tell Shelly that her attacker uh, is, in fact, the Forest Park killer and um, that he's been arrested and killed her friend and killed her friend, she's in jail herself. And she, when she sees him come into the day room, she says, you got him, didn't you? <gasps> and he says, we arrested him, but we need you to testify against him yes. and his trial. And because we need to give him the maximum sentence, you have to be there. You have to tell them what happened and you cannot be on drugs. Uh, which is so crazy because it's like i hear a lot of times like when they have to testify it's like re-traumatizing the victim yes so to not be able to have the thing you've been falling back on for your trauma drugs for so fucking long has to be a terrifying thought but you want to do it probably and she wants to do it obviously for herself but she wants to do it for her friend right this person that she like when she first got sober meant so much to her that is killed by the person that she was raped by like it's yeah so she was like I'm fucking doing this. Yeah. And she, and he, so she, um, Detective Schlegel had given her a business card. She tried to get clean so many times. She didn't think she could do it, but she wanted so badly to fight for her friend. And because she knew what her friend went through before she died. Yeah. And that's what she kept in mind. So she does it Ugh. and she gets sober. And in February 2001, Todd Reed pleads guilty to all three slayings. He's sentenced to life in prison without parole. Ugh. And that the sentencing, Shelley goes and reads a statement, tells her whole horrible ordeal, and then she puts the letter down. She looks Todd Allen Reed in the <gasps> eye and she says, but through it all, I take great satisfaction knowing that you're going to burn in hell. Oh. And because <laughs> I wrote here, because Shelley Harding is a fucking badass. Oh. And Detective Schlegel and Shelley are still friends oh. after all these years. And he was at her wedding. <laughs> and then they show pictures. No. 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 Todd Allen Reed is also a suspect in the murder of two girls who were last seen in 1987, (gasps) 12-year-old Mindy Thomas and 15-year-old Jennifer Chur. And they were both found strangled in a wooded area and they were both last seen with Todd Reed's (gasps) ex-wife, Gail (gasps) Bennett. 
And that's the insane story of Portland's Forest Park Killer. How the fuck have we never heard of that? Right? And the amazing survival story of Shelley Harding. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? That Shattered. Heavy. Shattered. It's produced so beautifully. Yeah, but you did a good job telling it. They do it so good. (laughs) Um, Um, Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. It's like... Yeah, there's nothing better than when a victim gets to fight back. Yeah. In both of our stories. I feel like hit with a ton of bricks from those stories. Yeah. Fuck, dude. 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 Deep shit, dude. Yeah. Fucking hooray. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to go home for Thanksgiving, and we had the best Thanksgiving at Adrian's with her family and our family and uh you know it's now it's a bunch of families it was actually a really big party and it was so fun to see everybody but then Nora has started she's been ice skating for most of her life but she started she went back to ice skating lessons and we went and watched her Aww. skate and she can now do the skate the the turn where you just turn a bunch of times no in way. a row she's like it's real ice skating she's gonna be an olympian it's <laughs> that's what everyone says but she it's just so cute because she loves it so much like she has the best yeah. time and it was just really beautiful to see because like when she was little it was all very cute and like yeah, she yeah. lift one leg or whatever and now she's like getting into ice skating it's so cute i'm so proud of her i know it's very lovely to watch it's just lovely to watch her grow up it's really um being down here and being by myself sometimes and just so much work yeah like we just there it's just so much work constant to go home and just get that like a nice shot every once in a while of like oh things that matter yeah family shit it's like very um it, it makes me feel like i got a B12 shot or something. Yeah. Or you went out in the sun and got some vitamin D. <laughs> just got out of that reading satanic for like, <laughs> put the satanic Bible down and go watch a child ice skate. I highly I recommend it. it. My, I, at Thanksgiving, my nephew, who's like eight, told me that his Hebrew school teacher was like, are you, is, ask my brother if, like she listens to the podcast as <laughs> Hebrew school teacher. So, Hell yes. yes. Um, listen, so my fucking hooray, I just want to give a shout out to, uh, so there was an end the backlog, um, fundraiser uh i'll just read this uh hey y'all proud fighting ghost baby here yes uh the day after the austin show some wonderful austin murderinos hosted a stab him in the backlog fundraiser with mfm trivia and hometown open mic we had some amazing raffle prizes like a 200 dollars tattoo mm-hmm. an arrow hour tarot card reading gift cards to places all around austin and mfm merch from austin murderinos on etsy nice. overall we, wa- we raised one thousand dollars for end the backlog wow i'm so happy that austin murderinos came together to raise so much money for such an amazing organization and i really want to thank you both for creating a community for making this possible fuck yeah you guys you did it amazing Um, the three masterminds were sarah shelly and monica and they're already talking about having one again next year so ssdgm katie so thanks for sending that good job austin that's very cool um i want to end on a note so a couple weeks back we threw up a live episode out of the blue Mm -hmm. because i just couldn't i found out uh, two weeks ago out of nowhere that my longtime beloved therapist died. Yeah. Suddenly. And, um, it's hit me really hard. I'm really sad. Obviously, I'm really, I'm sad that the world doesn't have her in, in it anymore because she was this beautiful, wonderful person who taught me so much. She was like a big sister to me. Um, and she taught me so much about being kind to myself and, and, 
and talking to myself as if I were talking to myself as a kid. And would I say these awful things to my, like the little Georgia, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and so she taught me about little Georgia and treating her well and to treat myself well that way. And she said that even if you can't use your own voice to do that, if it's hard, you can use someone else's. And so I started using hers because she was just such this beautiful ray of sunshine. Um, and I never, I feel guilty that I never told her how I felt and how much she helped me. She's in the book, our book. And we had just been talking about how I could say what I could say in our acknowledgements. If I could use her last name, we were joking about it. So you did tell her. I guess. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a big compliment. And that I think that discussion probably conveyed a lot of your feeling I, it may not have felt that way at the time, but definitely count that yeah. as something. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I don't know, maybe tell people how much they mean to you or be kind to yourself um, this week as just a little memorial for Kim and, um, and go to therapy because even though this is really fucking hard and, you know, I've had never had a therapist like her in two decades of therapy um, she taught me that it's just so, it's so important and it's life changing when you find a good one. So I'll, I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Good. And, um, yeah, there might not be a, a, a some final button because it's not really a finished thing. It's a new thing that happened to you. So yeah. you're still processing it yeah. and, and you're processing it without the person that helps you process right. <laughs> who has all my, has all my, like, she knows all my shit. Yeah. And it's, Yeah. Yeah. So give yourself a break. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's, that's uncharted territory. Yeah. So I'm really sorry that happened. Thank it's, you. I it mean, is really sad. I don't, it's not, I don't want to make it about me. Obviously it's her friends and family as well, but you know, she was an incredible woman and I, I just, the world has a big, all the people she would have helped in the future and that she were, was helping now and has helped in the past. I think it's a big, big loss. Yeah, it so is. I just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. She good. reminded me of, um, what's her name from Scrooge? Is it Margot Kidder? <laughs> is that who it is? I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that movie. <laughs> you never watched Scrooge? <laughs> uh, you have to watch Scrooge. Yeah, I don't think I have. Steven, is it Margot Kidder? Uh, Karen Allen. She's plays She's the one Claire from Phillips. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Karen Allen. Yeah. She she looked just like her. Wow. Same kind of age and they, you know, that. So, yeah. It's, and I watched Scrooge the other night and got real sad about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, be kind to your little self. It's and if if you need someone else's voice, use minor Karen's. Yeah. And uh yeah, yeah, think about it from another perspective, right. aside from your own, if you can. Yeah, practice. Just practice it. Everyone, you know, I started doing it once a day, and then it just became natural. Okay, but yeah, thanks for letting me say that. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening and making this community huge and what it is and letting us do these incredible things like start a podcast network and further our lives in this way. I just, I feel so honored and blessed to have this this podcast and so much more than that and this life yeah it's it's pretty awesome also i think if um a good thing a good piece of advice that i've gotten is it, when you are feeling lost or like you don't know what to do or how you know 
when you lose somebody or whatever, it's a really great thing to help other people. Yeah. So like if you are in, if you're relating to what George is saying or something's going on like that, just try to try to figure out if there's another person that might be feeling like you feel and help them figure out a way to help them. That's like the immediate, uh, um, the lifting of a burden yeah. you think you're waiting you're gonna wait around for someone else to come and lift it for you yeah but actually if you can kind of get into a proactive like who can i help lift that's worse off than me yeah it that actually is a very strengthening exercise that that uh someone taught me a while ago i love it yeah and uh other than that you know stay sexy and don't get murdered goodbye, goodbye. elvis want a cookie <laughs> Good boy. Perfect.